Hello from Austin, and welcome to episode number 17, already, <laughs> of the National Security Law Podcast, brought to you by the Strauss Center at the University of Texas. Today is Wednesday, May 10th, and I'm Bobby Chesney. And I'm Steve Loddick. Bobby, weren't we just here? I think we literally just <laughs> uploaded our last episode yesterday. Steve, why are we back so suddenly? Because um, we're prescient. No, we really weren't prescient. Our whole we actually talked about Jim Comey in yesterday's episode, which all you know, thirty-seven of you have listened to. Um, I'm not really sure we saw this coming. No, no, uh, big surprise for all of us. Of course, everyone listening to this, I'm sure, already knows Jim Comey's been fired by President Trump. It's not possible that there's someone who listens to our podcast who is unaware of the news or the reason why we decided to sit down and have this emergency session. You know, I don't know if my mom was watching the news last night. Maybe this will come as a surprise to her. All right. Well, hey, hey, Bobby's mom. (laughs) <laughs> um, so, so Bobby, we wanted to just sort of get back on the air, mostly because I think we both thought it would be useful for us, if nothing else, mm-hmm. to talk through the news, to talk through our reaction to it, to talk through what it means, to talk through the implications. You know, it, are there legal implications? What are some of the more obvious political implications? What do we still not know? All of the above. Agreed, agreed. So uh, maybe we should start with the, you know, the biggest question of all. Is it a constitutional crisis? So, uh, you know, it's funny. I've been thinking about this question a lot over the last 12 to 14 hours. Um, I don't think so, right? And I don't think so for a couple of reasons. Um, The FBI director serves at the pleasure of the president, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, yes, there's a 10-year term, but that was more a response to concerns of a director who wouldn't leave, a la J. Edgar Hoover, than it was really meant to be some kind of long-term tenure protection. If Congress wanted there to be tenure protection, Congress could have provided it. They know how to do it, and they didn't try to do so right. here. So, so there's no legal pro- – I mean, I, I suspect you and I com- completely agree that there's absolutely no legal problem with the president firing an FBI director for any reason whatsoever. That, no, we do agree on that. Okay. Um, the crisis to me, I think, Bobby, comes from two potential pieces here. One is why did he do it, and two is how will the relevant actors who are supposed to check the executive branch respond. And so I want to say it is too early to tell. Right, if this is the beginning of a constitutional crisis. Right, I think we're on the same page. This is potentially, it's, it's obviously a political uh, blow up of the first order. It is potentially a policy crisis. And depending on what you mean by constitutional right. crisis, maybe depending on your definition, it counts as a constitutional crisis. If what you mean by that is you're concerned about uh, the, this particular president's ability to exist within a rule of law order, and, and you view this as the a very substantial leading edge of something that ultimately is designed to uh, stop the investigation into Russian influence on the election. And to your point, it's too early to say, because that, that depends a lot on what comes next. It depends on who gets nominated and, and becomes the next director, who will, in fact, be the acting director in the meantime. What does it mean for the investigation? What are the other institutions involved? How do they act? This may or may not actually ultimately derail or substantially impact those investigations. No, although I think a lot of that also lies now in Congress's lap. But but let's let's walk through this. So yep. so I want to start with the the proffered justifications for the termination. Should we even should we even go through? I, I agree. We have to go through the motions. But I got to say at the outset, it, you know the the justifications. No one can seriously think that this is why 
um, the director was fired yesterday. Well, so so let's talk about what this is, right? Yeah. So so I think it's worth flagging two different documents that I think it would behoove folks who are interested in this issue to read. Um, the first is the letter that President Trump himself sent to Comey terminating him. And by the way, Bobby, I mean, can we agree that sending a letter through your bodyguard and having the guy find out while TVs in a room in which he's giving a talk are breaking the news is not the way to fire somebody? Let me, let me contrast this with what happened in 1993 when President Bill Clinton, uh, the only other time a president has removed an FBI director midterm, uh, fired uh, Director Sessions. No relation. Yeah, no, that's right. This is William Sessions. Uh, Director Sessions had been the object of a big internal investigation in the Office of Professional Responsibility. Like a 161-page report documenting all of his ethical improprieties. Yeah, there, there's all this. It was all sort of not ticky-tack, but sort of small-scale stuff about misuse of, of official vehicles for personal trips and having a fence built at his house. At, you know, a bunch of small-scale, but cumulatively a thing, things certainly no leading government official should be doing. Um, Attorney General Reno sat down face-to-face with Sessions, urged him to resign voluntarily. When he would would not do so. The director forced President Clinton's hand. And in that case, President Clinton called and spoke to Sessions, thanked him for service, told him he was, told him he was removed. Um, that is how this sort of thing should be done. It is- So you're saying it's not a TV show? It's not a TV show. It was treated in ex- almost exactly the way you might, in a cliched way, imagine Donald Trump might treat such a thing. This was, you know, it's not enough to say it wasn't the classy way to do it. This was an inappropriate uh, way to do it because it does damage to the morale of the workforce to treat the bureau this way. Okay, so so step number one, poor tact, right? right? That's right. almost a given. All right. Move on from there. Step number two, the Trump letter. So so I found the second, I think it's the second paragraph of the Trump letter to be incredibly curious, right? The second paragraph says, I want to thank you for telling me on three different occasions that you are not actually investigating yeah. my connection with yeah. Russia. Who, who wrote this? Do you think Do you think he actually sat there leaning over, uh, you know, spy shoulder or somebody's shoulder saying I, I want I want these words write down what I said I, I mean it's it's so weird because here, here so here's what strikes me as weird about right first he's conceding that he on multiple occasions sought assurances from director Comey to that effect right second he's putting it in the public letter in which he fires the guy um, and in which the whole sort of pretext is going to be this has nothing to do with Russia right but let me remind you let me it's remind kind you, of all about Russia it's kind of all about Russia and third Bobby the language, right, that I, Trump, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Ha, um, they're not investigating me. I, There's lots of investigations it, it in goes, going It on. goes with the grain of the sort of the narcissistic element where this is, this is all. But it's more me. than narcissism, right? I mean, we also learned yesterday that grand jury subpoenas have now been issued in the Eastern District of Virginia, at least in the Michael Flynn case. Now, again, as we talked about on the podcast yesterday, the Flynn case could be wholly separate and hermetically sealed from the broader investigation into the Trump campaign in Russia. We don't know yet, but it's just, it's too soon. You know, so on the on the Flynn subpoena deals, I liked what Alex Whitting said at Just Security about, look, you can't draw too many inferences of about not. this. Um, I, I don't think that had any sort of precipitating role here. It's just a reminder that, which we don't need, that there are these investigations going on in multiple fora, one of which is the grand jury right. process. All right, so the Trump letter also incorporates by reference two other letters, right? One from Attorney General, no relation, Sessions, um, and the other in Bobby, perhaps the most substantive document that we saw yesterday, a fascinating, I think, three-page memo by Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein. Um, 
who's been on the job for two weeks. Yeah. And, and, and in an early podcast, you and I had a discussion. And uh, I, I will say here that what I'm about to say is, is exactly what uh, Ben Wittes says in the, in the excellent podcast that Lawfare put out last night yep. with, with Ben, Susan, Jack, Paul, and Carrie, all and Paul, by the way, calling in from a train, which I thought was very cool, uh, describing their various views on this. <laughs> I hope it wasn't the quiet car. Ben said the same thing that I'm now going to say, which is perhaps there's a bit of crow to be eaten, having very publicly said earlier that we should all relax a bit about DOJ with Rod Rosenstein as the Deputy Attorney General. This is a, a 27-year career uh, DOJ guy with a great reputation who's not going to stand by for any nonsense. But I got to say, he kind of put his name on some nonsense yesterday. So I don't know. I mean, so this is what I want to talk about. Uh, so so I'm going to see your Lawfare podcast and raise you Marty Lederman's post um, late late last night on Just Security. You know, Marty says, and, and I, as usual, I agree with most of what he says, um, that if you read Rod Rosenstein's memo and nothing else, and if you didn't know that Comey had been fired, the memo itself is actually rather unobjectionable, right? That that the memo rehashes all of the ways in which Comey, in Rosenstein's view and the views of lots of folks on both sides of the aisle, completely bungled the Hillary email investigation. I mean, Bobby, we talked on the podcast yesterday about the misstatements he made to Congress just last week. Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff in the memo about how it is, in fact, damaging to the credibility and prestige of the FBI for Comey to be such a figurehead, such a such a key player in this conversation and not to be sort of in the background. I don't disagree with any of that. But Marty's point, which I think is really important, is the memo ends abruptly, right, and doesn't actually reach a conclusion about a rec- or make a recommendation about what should happen as a result of these observations. Not in so many words. And, and I did see that. And I think it's interesting. And it may reflect that, that Rod was willing to go, you know, this far and no further. And I think that's Marty's point, that maybe he drew the line personally. And I will not say he should be fired. But unless we are to believe that Rod didn't know what the use of this memo, what it was going to be used for, which I maybe that'll come out and that'll be the case. If so, I imagine, you know, he, he has sort of a duty to reveal that he was hoodwinked. I kind of doubt that he was hoodwinked. I imagine he knew what was going to be done with this. And there is language at the beginning, some of the prefatory language about the need for a fresh start at the FBI, that yeah. sort of thing. I don't yeah. have the exact language yeah. in front of me, but I actually think it, it makes it clear enough that he understood Maybe he couldn't bring himself to say the words, but I don't think that gives him a free pass on this. I think he has to own this a little bit. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I guess I maybe I'm I'm somewhere in between you and Marty, right? Like that. That I see exactly what you're saying. I just I think that maybe it's also that I agree so deeply with his substantive conclusions about Comey's many errors, right, and about Comey's misjudgment. Ah, uh, but see, this this really highlights the what I described in Politico is the cleverness of, of the timing, right? I mean, there are. Many people who right. agree, in fact, with the substance of the critique insofar as it concerns the handling of the Clinton right, but investigation. Right, but the timing. So you say timing, right? So timing is an interesting question here. Why now? Right. Well, and we've, we've been told through leaks in the media that this has been bubbling up all week, that the president is increasingly furious that somehow the, the Russia, Russia story it, it, won't go it away. It won't go away. It won't go away. And, and increasingly of the view that part of the problem here is that, you know, Comey won't let go of it. And, and both Politico and the New York Times, Bobby, reported last night, and I'm sure other outlets have as well, and I, I, I apologize as if I am neglecting folks who actually broke any of these stories, um, that in fact, the administration made the decision to fire Comey a week to 10 days ago and went about looking for a reason. Um, That to me is perhaps the most discomfiting piece of this whole story, right? You know, they don't, legally, they don't need a reason. So if you're going to do it just because you don't like the guy, 
do it. Yeah, no, it's, it's a political environment. So if you're going to do it, you're going to choose the most politica, politically opportune time to do it. And what could have been better than the refreshed round of outrage on the left at Jim Comey, yeah. which followed from the discussion, which we rehashed a bit yesterday. And I, <laughs> I said a few things about how this, you know, people are kind of bringing and this you back. And you poo-pooed me for wanting to talk about Comey on yesterday's episode. It is true. I didn't think it was, you know, as legally relevant. Uh, well, not legally relevant. But so, so all right. So, so <laughs> anyway, I, wanna, I just want to be sorry. clear about this point that um, this was a moment where you had a refreshed round of people on the left pointing the finger and reminded of Comey's role in the election and really angry at him, making all these points, which you said yourself a moment ago, you, you know, kind of agree with some of these points. And it's it's about as good a window as they're going to get to fire him at a moment where the people most likely to be actually alarmed at the firing feel a little bit wrong-footed because the cited grounds, even though we know it's cynical, nonetheless, right. the cited grounds are their grounds. So I would have thought you would have tied your last two arguments together and said that the timing is also a function of Rod Rosenstein being on the job. Um, and this leads uh, to, Yeah, exactly right? so. He and, provides them incredible credibility that they wouldn't otherwise have so, had. So this leads to my next question. Why the hell did Jeff Sessions not recuse from this, right? So Sessions swore up and down a stack that he was going to recuse from the Russia investigation and from anything pertaining thereto. If Sessions knew that the real reason, that the real motivation from the White House for firing Comey was um, because somehow the White House thought, and by the way, I think we agree this is a preposterous view, that firing Comey would somehow make the Russia investigation go away. How is an attorney general who has promised to recuse from matters related to Russia playing any role in that decision-making process? So first, I don't think this particularly matters since you've got, if he had recused, then what would have happened? Uh, Rosenstein would have been the top DOJ official, would have said what he said, uh, would have written the memo he wrote. And would have had to make the recommendation that we just talked about him not making. But you know, he didn't have to make this. As you said earlier, it's the president's call. Yeah. He could have issued that memo with nothing more added, nothing more so said. So all the more reason, if there's no cost, why doesn't he recuse? Like if there's no, if there's no, like if, if, if you get this, if you get to the same place. You're, you're assuming he would handle this the way you or I might with an, sort of an acute sense of what's the appearance of propriety yes, here. Yes, when I tell everybody that I'm recusing this is going anything down. involving Russia, that means anything involving Russia. Well, of course, the way he has framed it in the way that Rosenstein's memo frames it, this isn't about Russia. This is about the Clinton investigation. It's only the president who indirectly, not directly, but only indirectly reminds us, not that we needed the reminding, that underneath the surface, it's really about Russia. Should he have recused? Well, sure, but there's all sorts of should-haves that are not being followed here. They shouldn't have fired Jim Comey. <laughs> Maybe that's the title of this episode. They shouldn't have fired Jim Comey. <laughs> it's overdetermined. Um, all right, so so let's see what we've let, let me see if I can recap where we are so far. About 14 minutes in, right? So um, we agree that this was pretextual. I think it's pretextual. Okay, um, we agree that Rod Rosenstein was in a sticky wicket and may not have helped himself very much in how he in the memo he wrote. I think we. I think I think it's worse than you do. Fair, but I think I mean. It's, it's awkward. Yeah, I would have put it more strongly than that, but yes. Okay, fair enough. Um, and we agree that Comey shouldn't have been fired. Okay. All right. Um, now what? Should we say something about the relevant law here in case there, there are some well, national what, security so, law podcast so listeners is, who mean, want some law? Is there a relevant law here? It, well, no. I think that all there is to say is to diffuse any sense out there because I think you sometimes hear that the, the, the FBI director can't be fired without good cause, that sort of thing. Um, there is a statute. Interestingly, for, for decades, we had an FBI director – it was always the same guy. It was always Hoover. Um, and no statute explicitly addressing who has the power of appointment, let alone removal power. Um, I did a post that will go up at Lawfare later today, just sort of running through the history here. My favorite part of the story is that the, the office is created at the hands of Attorney General Bonaparte. 
grandnephew of the Bonaparte, grandson of Jerome, king of Westphalia. These people end up, the family descendants move to Philadelphia, and, you know, you get a couple generations down, and suddenly Charles Bonaparte's the attorney general under Teddy Roosevelt. Roosevelt wants there to be more federal law enforcement capacity, so he and Bonaparte have a couple of false starts before Bonaparte eventually allocates some, some of his budget and some of his agents and does a bit of new hiring, creates the Bureau of Investigation. Eventually, under uh, Attorney General Stone, that becomes J. Edgar Hoover's gig. And later Chief Justice Stone. And later Chief Justice, indeed. Um, Amherst he, College, class of 1895. <laughs> need work that in there somehow. <laughs> so for f- more than four decades, uh, Hoover is the director, and so it's sort of a non-issue who appoints, who removes. No one can remove him, and there's no need to appoint anyone new. Uh, as he ages by the mid-60s, it becomes clear that uh, they're eventually you're going to need a new uh, director. The original statute, uh, the statute's, 28 U.S. Code uh, 532, uh, actually, in, in the way it reads today, still says the attorney general uh, shall appoint. Um, that got changed pretty quickly. Two years later, they, they changed it to where the president shall appoint with confirmation. Part of the 1968 criminal law omnibus reform. The, the famous 68 uh, Criminal Crime Control Act. Um, and then in 76, they come back and uh, they added the tenure, t- the one term right. for 10 years provision. But they've never said, Congress has never said that there's any substantive or, or criteria grounds for removal, which leaves you in the default position where the president can remove. Yeah, listen, I mean, I don't think there's any question that constitutionally the FBI director serves at the pleasure of the president. Indeed. Um, but that doesn't mean, contra what a lot of pro-administration talking heads have been saying on TV and elsewhere, that there's no problem with firing someone who serves at the pleasure you of the president. You've got to put an adjective in front of that. There's no legal problem, That's as right. you said earlier. So let's talk about the, uh, the, so politics. the policy. The politics are what they are, quite obviously. The policy is very interesting in that the big policy question is, what does this portend for the investigations multiple investigations that are impacted by this. Um, so, this initial- so, this, so this leads to another piece of news that came out this morning, mm-hmm. which is that Sessions and um, I think various folks in the White House are now interviewing potential successors, which means they do not apparently envision that, uh, I don't remember his first name, McCabe. Andy. Andy, Andy McCabe, McCabe. Yes. Um, who's now the acting director. Right, so the deputy director of the FBI since February of 2016 has been Andrew or Andy McCabe, who's a 20-something year veteran, came up out of the New York City uh, field office. Right. So has, in a situation like this, the most obvious, I would think, response would be just let the deputy assume the acting position until things calm down. Uh, yeah, maybe. I mean, certainly that's that's a, that would be a, a highly responsible sort of cautious <laughs> position. I don't think there's anything at all wrong in principle with actually trying to come forward with their own person. It entirely depends on the credibility of the person they come forward with. Let's assume for the sake of argument that they came forward tomorrow and said... Rudy Giuliani. No, no, that's not what I was going to say. <laughs> they, they, they should not say that. That wouldn't, I don't think, would be Merrick a good Garland. Idea. Yeah, I know you tweeted that. I, I somehow think that won't happen either. But no. let's let's say, uh, as someone suggested on, on the Lawfare podcast they did last night, you know, they got Chertoff to do it, Mike Chertoff. Um, I don't think there'd be anything wrong with that, and I wouldn't construe that as portending any kind of disruption to the investigation. No, but that's going to be one hell of a confirmation hearing. No matter who it is, it's yes. going to be a hell of a confirmation because of the politics. Right. And the grandstanding will be unbelievable. Some of it justified, perhaps some of it not. Um it, 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 it entirely depends on the quality and credentials and credibility of the person that they then nominate. So, okay, so Bobby, I agree with that. Um, the right question is the one you pose, which is, so what happens with the Russia investigation, right? It's, I think we all, I don't, um, you know, the, 
the one of the other pieces that came out this morning is that Comey apparently had been requesting more resources for the investigation from the Justice Department in the days leading up to his firing. That's interesting. Uh, I, you know, I hadn't heard about that. I don't know what sort of resources they were. I think, I think the New York Times alert I saw said money and manpower. Yeah, which which is a way of saying, like, we'd like to do more. We don't want to cannibalize other investigations. Of course, if Andy McCabe is, as the acting director, decides that they need those and they're not going to get them from the Justice Department, he could decide at a certain point. Yeah, I, I don't think we can infer from that that the investigation is being starved or anything like no, no, that. No, 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 no. Oh, uh, I, that's not what I'm suggesting. What I'm suggesting is where it, that, that it certainly appears, at least from Jim Comey's perspective, that the investigation is at an important crossroads. Yeah. And uh, if it, but if it's important enough, I guess my point is, the director or the acting director can allocate, reallocate resources internally as needed. I mean, they have a lot of resources. It's just a shame to have to have it come at the expense right. of... So then the other question, Bobby, is what happens to the congressional inquiries, right? Given the skepticism about what's happened within the executive branch, uh, Justin Amash, uh, your friend and mine, um, right, uh, t- uh, I think tweeted yesterday that he's now increasingly concerned about the ability of the executive branch to investigate itself. Senator Burr um, from North Carolina, chair of the Senate Intelligence yeah. Committee, tweeted that he's, you know, he has some discomfort about this. He has some misgivings about yeah. the, the situation. I thought, I thought Ben Sass and Richard Burr both kind of distinguished themselves. You know, obviously, it's, this puts the, the Republican senators in a very difficult spot. You see people scrambling to figure out how, how to respond was, on I mean, this. It was going to have to happen eventually, right? I mean, yeah. we, we've been talking for oh. weeks that there was going to be a trigger. But I, is, uh, the point I want to make is that uh, Richard Burr is chair of the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence. Uh, someone who's who's taken some criticism, I think, has actually been p- performing pretty well in terms of striking the proper professional, uh, independent investigative posture. And so there's a good early we, sign. We've set the bar pretty low. Well, the House Permanent Select Committee so, has. So, 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 so Burr, I agree with you, clears the bar. Yeah. I, I have concerns about where the bar is. But it's worth noting it's not Burr's committee. Right, that has oversight authority over the Justice Department, and the FBI, and who would be right. conducting the hearing. So here we, the we turn our eyes to, to Chairman Grassley in the Senate Judiciary Committee. Oh, yeah. um, but but there are a lot of uh, significant senators. Again, I, I draw attention to Senator Sass, mm-hmm. former Longhorn professor. Very mm-hmm. proud of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I Look think up. I think that you're going to see in the process of confirmation for whoever gets nominated. Um, and perhaps in other contexts, perhaps run-of-the-mill, you know, oversight, but well, also today, perhaps special I mean, oversight. Bobby, today are the confirmation hearings for President Trump's nominees. <laughs> for the OLC. For OLC and yeah. for Steve Engel and for Noel Francisco to be Solicitor General. Right. Now, some of those will be less useful vehicles for bringing the issues. Well, because neither forward. OLC nor OSG is involved in this kind of policymaking, at least, you know, directly. No, that's right. So I, I don't think those are the main events by any but, stretch. But there will be. There will be. There will, there be. will be main events. But I, I think it's a mistake to, to pin our hopes too much on, on the Congress side of the equation. <laughs> and also, to shocking, give, and, and it's a mistake to give up prematurely on the the uh, the law enforcement investigations and the counterintelligence investigations. Now, we don't really know exactly what the organizational map of those investigations are, but as you mentioned earlier, there, we know there's a grand jury investigating the Flynn situation. We can imagine as well, I think, pretty reliably that there's a counterintelligence investigation going on within FBI of the highest order. I, I don't see any pathway in which Trump succeeds in putting in a new director who would take any significant action to interfere with that. I think that it would explode. It would all come out. It would be it would be almost inconceivable to imagine that would happen. I think the only director he's going to be able to get in is someone who pretty credibly would allow this stuff to continue. Now, maybe I'll be proven wrong, in which case I think we'll have a constitutional crisis at that point. But I would bet that over time, 
both the counterintelligence investigation and the probably multiple Russia-related or foreign influence-related criminal investigations are all going to roll forward to some extent within the bounds of where they were going to roll forward to anyway. So I think that's right. But then the question becomes not just who is the next person to take over the investigation, but what happens when he or she um, also doesn't drop it. Right, because I right. think we both assume that, that we both assume that the Senate Judiciary Committee is going to exact some kind of concession, even the Republicans, yeah. right? That that the new FBI director will not terminate for political reasons, right? Any investigations that Comey oh, was, but then, so then the question is: so now imagine the new director. Let's assume it's Chertoff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or Pat Fitzgerald is another name I think that's been bandied about, right? Um, let's assume the new director. Ask for more resources for the investigation. Let's assume that they, you know, without being as public as Comey, take the direction and steps that that the White House doesn't like. So the ask for more resources thing, I stand by what I said earlier. Yeah. If, if it's really a problem, and I'm not convinced that we have something that actually rises to that level where you can say that right. the investigation's not working because they're striving it, if that's really a problem, then a sufficiently motivated FBI can solve it internally by reallocating resources. It'd be nice to have more resources, I'm sure, but I just don't see that as the main event. Um, I just don't see a pathway where there's someone who can get confirmed, who could get away with putting pressure on these career investigators on the counterintelligence side or the law enforcement side, uh, or, or whichever U.S. attorneys are driving the grand jury process. I, I think these mechanisms are sufficiently independent and sufficiently career professionally dominated to where they're, they're insulated enough to where the level of interference it would take for the White House to actually slow them down effectively is beyond what the White House could pull off. So is it possible? I mean, let me ask. Uh, you know, I, we 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 planned this podcast for about forty-seven seconds right before we sat down and recorded, which is five seconds more than normal. Indeed. Um, is it possible that by firing Comey, the administration actually is going to produce the exact opposite of what they intended? Oh, it, it, almost inevitably. Look, they they've created a situation where now the pressure to not be seen to be taking the the foot off the gas is, is far stronger than it already was. On everybody. Uh, ben had a great line in the podcast that Lawfare did last night talking about how you know, Nixon fires Archibald Cox. What do you get? You get Leon Jaworski and right. you get an aggressive investigation. They're going to get, I think, the Leon Jaworski solution, if not something stronger, given the uh, exceptional attention now being paid to this. Maybe. Although, I mean, that, you know, that presupposes. So, so it's one thing for the FBI to conduct its investigation. It's another thing for anything to come of it, right? And we don't have the independent counsel statute anymore, although it's my understanding that certain senators led by Connecticut Senator Blumenthal might be introducing legislation as early as today. Unless to, someone thinks they have the votes to override a presidential veto, I don't see any independent counsel statute No, no, no. Out. And so then we're talking about the special counsel provisions of, what, 28 CFR, right? Yeah, Which, and, and there's no reason to think that Trump and Sessions are going to activate that. Right. So that won't happen either. So then the question is, all right, so imagine the FBI actually does continue to investigate. Is the only thing that's going to happen if the investigation leaves anywhere that we learn about it through leaks to the media? Well, what makes you think that it couldn't? Okay, let's assume that the investigation culminates in grounds to prosecute. That goes to a grand jury, unless someone's going to interfere and put pressure on the prosecutors involved. And given what we've seen, do you really doubt that yes, Trump who, who, would pressure the attorney dis, general? Dis, dis, well, he can pressure the attorney general's recused on the Russia matters. So oh, oh the, the attorney general's yes. Uh, does he know that? Yes. Are you sure? I'm, I'm quite sure. Did so, you participate in the firing of Jim Comey because des- of the Russian investigation? You, des- you described to me what it would look like that would cause Rosenstein, who's the relevant official here, to pressure other career politi- – uh, not politicians, career prosecutors, prosecutors yeah. and prevent them from going to the grand jury with the case they think should go to the grand jury. I think that's inconceivable. 
Um, well, I, so they can fire the director again and again. They and, can fire and, and, that's, and that's the Saturday Night Massacre. I mean, and, and, it, and at a certain point, it obviously gets into the constitutional crisis realm when it happens repeatedly. Well, so this is so it's funny. I mean, there are a lot of folks because they just I think like the visual um, have been analogizing this to the Saturday Night Massacre. Yeah, um, we're not there yet. Well, so first of all, we're not there yet. Second of all, this allows me to at least plug the best tweet from yesterday, which was the Nixon Presidential Library. <laughs> what um, did they do? I so the Nixon that. Presidential Library tweeted that even Nixon. And never fired his FBI director, um, which I thought was quite a lot of shade for yeah, the one pretty, president. That's pretty to, strong. You know, anyway, um, so I agree with you that we're not there yet. That what made the Saturday Night Massacre a constitutional crisis was firing both, or firing or forced to resign both Richardson and then Ruckelshaus. Right, that it was yeah. going down the food yeah, chain right. all the it's, way to Robert Bork. It's trying to find trying to find a yes man. Um, we don't know yet whether that'll be the upshot of this. So, so step one is who do they nominate? It'll be immediately the main focus of conversation. Yes. Is that person in the sort of yes man, yes woman category, or is it somebody who looks independent and credible? And, and depending on how that goes, we may know right away how this is going. Um, if it is somebody credible, then the question becomes, okay, nonetheless, as you were suggesting a moment ago, is there somehow going to be, despite the recusal, pressure through the attorney general to try to squelch this? I don't believe for a second that he could pull that off. I mean, so, he might try it, but I don't think he can pull it off. I wouldn't have thought. I wouldn't have thought before yesterday that they even had the chutzpah to try. But you know, yeah. the day is young. Um, so, so my last question, I think, we'll see where this goes. Um, who is someone? I mean, you mentioned Michael Chertoff. Would Chertoff take the job? Um, you know, I don't know. I wouldn't purport to know. I, I'm but, but I'm saying, like, like, like who would be willing to take who would this? Be will- I mean, like, uh, this is this is a, a hornet's nest, right? Yeah. So, so is there someone out there? who is ideologically palatable to the White House, right, who is of such credentials and perceived integrity to be confirmable, mm-hmm. right, and to satisfy the moderate Republicans, such as they are, on the Senate Judiciary Committee. There are plenty. And who would want this job? Right. So I think that this is a similar, this is a uh, microcosm of that larger uh, debate from the past few months where we talk about should people serve at all in this administration If insofar yeah, as... Yeah, but this is... Well, let me, let me finish. Yeah. So I think it's a little bit of a microcosm of that where it's tempting to say no one should touch this. It's poisoned. It's terrible. Um, I kind of think that actually is a reason why if you are the person you just described, that is the highly credible professional person who will do the right thing, and if they're willing to come to you to offer this to you, please take it and let's please have a director who fits that description. We need it. The, the FBI is about so much more than just this investigation. No, of course it is. And I guess and I guess that that's my point, right, which is that the most, I think, damaging thing in sort of structural mm, ways, right, in sort of structural implications that could result from this is the diminishing and the demeaning of the position of FBI director. Could. And I also, though, could see it going the other way. It's the broken bone that heals yep. stronger. Yep. And you get you, they are going to be forced, I hope, they'll be forced, you know, Senate Judiciary, paging Senate Judiciary. Seriously. Forced to put someone forward to be confirmed who is really credible. You know, as you say, like a Pat Fitzgerald uh, type of person, uh, that, you know, put forward. I, I can think of lots of people that might fit the bill. Whether the White House wants them is a different matter. They might, they might be for. Yeah, I don't think so. Uh, <laughs> they might be forced to accept such a person. If they do, then that person could come in and play the role of making the FBI even stronger. Yeah. But precisely because it won't cave in 
won't fold in these investigations and carries forward in its ordinary traditional way. I'm not holding my breath. I mean, I, I think I think that's what we're going to get. Yeah. Uh, if instead the only alternative, I don't think you get someone who's obviously going to shut things down. No, I don't think that can happen. If you get sort of a margin figure, a person who's more appealing to the White House on this than you might want, but but is credible enough to where you can't really criticize it, then we just have to wait to see how it plays out. My position is that the institutional features here, the, the, the distribution of prosecutorial authority across the U.S. attorneys and the grand jury process, the insulation of the professional career investigators, that this pretty much guarantees that this cannot be entirely squelched. It's still going to find its way. I guess, I guess the, the last two things I, I'd say is, um, every day, the 2018 election is becoming more and more of a referendum on the merits or demerits of one-party rule in Washington. I think that's been clear since day one. Um, and, um, man, I never really thought Sally Yates would get kicked out of the news cycle quite as quickly as she did. <laughs> She'll be back. Um, well, and so I suspect— Maybe in 2018? I was going to say, and so I suspect it will Jim Comey. I mean, you know, something tells me that Jim Comey— um, is not going to pass up opportunities to testify before Congress, you when, know, if and when called. I, I hope that uh, that Jim and his family, in the aftermath of you know waking up this morning and kind of processing it all, just got on Travelocity, found a great deal to go to a beach somewhere, and I hope he's not paying any attention to the news and he's just enjoying a margarita in the sand somewhere right now. Was <laughs> making our way to Margaritaville. Yeah, and I hope, and then I hope he comes back and, and writes the world's greatest memoir um, and blogs. At Lawfare. And, or Just Security. <laughs> and comes on our podcast. All right. Well, listen, I mean, I suspect that, Bobby, we're going to have more to say about this. No doubt. Next week in our regular schedule. Here's hoping that we don't need another, another. emergency episode between now <laughs> and next week. But um, last note, just a frivolity, um, nice overtime win to you last night. Thank you. I felt so scared watching the Spurs and the Rockets. It seemed pretty clear neither team particularly wants to go on to the next round. It was it was it was kind of awful and the injuries keep mounting. It was horrifying and unfortunate to see Kawhi Leonard with the uh, the, the ankle injury. Um, but uh, hats off to Danny Green for a crazy strong step up at the end. And then what can I say at the end but Ginobili. Yeah, good luck with the Warriors, buddy. Yeah, at least I, I'll be happy just to get to the chance to, to have that. <laughs> happy to be there. Happy to be there. All right, well, listen, on that note, everybody, um, go hug your favorite former FBI director and stay safe out there. Adios.